Wow, you look frustrated. Ah, oh, I can't get anything done with these kitchen knives. The blades are just too dull. Well, maybe it's time we tried one of those new shard blades. Shard blades! Whoa! I hear these shard blades. Shard blade! That's annoying. But I hear they are super sharp. You can cut through the spine of your enemy, and the blade will still be sharp enough to cut through a very ripe tomato. Oh yeah? Where do you get one of these shard blades? Shard blade! Oh, sorry, forgot about that. It's kind of creepy. Uh, I hear you can only get one by killing the previous owner. Sounds reasonable. Tom got one recently, and you know I've always hated him. Well, his wife and kids are on vacation next week. Sounds like we'll get to try one of these shard blades. Shard blades! That's so annoying. D&D Enterprises take no responsibility for your actions in pursuing a shard blade. Check the laws in your local jurisdiction before killing your neighbors. We're not responsible for structure damage caused by using a shard blade. Please allow five days to complete bombing. Don't ask us how it works. We don't know. Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. We are in episode 89 we're talking about chapters 54 through 58 of Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson. Our next book club is going to cover interludes numbers 9 through 11 and chapters 59 through 61. Cool. So get ready to start part four. Exciting. My name is Chad. I'm Liz. And why don't you tell them about our spoiler policy? So our spoiler policy is that we will not discuss or spoil any plot points on this podcast past chapter 58 of The Words of Radiance. We will also not be spoiling plot points for other books in the Cosmere. We may discuss in general terms the related nature of the books, but we will not be giving away plot points of any other books in the Cosmere. This is a spoiler-friendly podcast. So what do you think of this section? So this has definitely one of my top three, probably favorite scenes in the series. Okay. All right. Good. I absolutely love it when Kaladin says to Dalinar, honor is dead, <laughs> but I'll see what I can do. Oh. It's fantastic. It's just over the top, like bombastically cheesy and i i love it i'm here for it <laughs> and then he goes in there and just kicks ass with nothing but like a stick basically it's amazing i love that part of the book all right what about you what did you think of this section i thought it was pretty good it was interesting it wasn't the most exciting conclusion to you know to one of the quote parts right uh, that we've had but it was all right it was pretty good there was definitely some stuff that was worth laughing at I had there are there were some many ha it, mo, moments written in my in my notes. Yeah, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed laughing at several things, and there were some cool reveals in here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the fight itself was enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad to see our protagonist being dumbasses over and over again. 
There's definitely some cockfuckery going on. For sure. In this section. These guys, I mean, they are the keystone cops of fantasy. <laughs> I mean, these, so true. These sons of bitches do not know what they are doing. <laughs> You know, but that's refreshing as a, as opposed to a lot of other books that we've read where the protagonist, mm-hmm. you know, makes a move and everyone's astounded by the brilliance of his very common sense move. Right. You know, so. Right. And then everything just kind of falls into place perfectly. No, these characters definitely tend to have two steps forward, one step back or one step forward, two steps back moments over and over again. I think some of these characters are just flat out moonwalking throughout the pages. <laughs> yes. Just backwards, 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 backwards. <laughs> All right, can we start talking about chapter 54? Yes, indeed. Let's talk about it. Chapter 54 is called Vale's Lesson. Shallan, disguised as Vale, meets with the ghost bloods in a remote area outside of the camps. She gives a report of what she learned at Amaram's Manor, some of it anyway. Mraze is impressed by her talent. He surmises that Vale killed Tin, and while he doesn't overtly approve, he indicates that Shallan might be able to earn a place in the organization. Shallan decides to send her coach home empty and sneak back to spy on the Ghostbloods before heading home. She doesn't learn much, but the decision saves her life. On the way home, she finds her coach on fire and her coachman and his parchment dead. Obviously, these guys are some bad mofos. You know what I think of these guys? What do you think of these guys? I think they pet their bald cats a little too much. A little bit too much. A little too much bald. They're going to get carpal tunnel from the bald cat petting. Sitting in a swivel chair petting their bald cat. Well, well, well. (laughs) I've been expecting you. Uh, Yeah, you asked me to come here. That's why I've been expecting you. It just makes me think of our seven-year-old now because she <laughs> loves saying that yeah, when you walk into a room. <laughs> she loves to spin around and say that. It's hilarious. So it's kind of cool. The art uh, in this section is kind of cool. There's uh, some sketches of Shallan and Vale that I thought were kind of neat looking. One thing I noticed this time through in this chapter and the one following the contrast between Shallan and Kaladin's reaction to rain. I thought that was neat. You know, Shallan, one of the first things she talks about is how happy the rain makes her because it brings life. And yeah, it's a little wet, but she just loves, you know, she's just so happy in the rain. She, she loves nature and the world and blah, blah, blah. And Kaladin, one of the first thing he ruminates about in the next chapter is how much he hates the rain and it makes him so depressed. So I think it's an interesting contrast between these two characters in general, just that they can be in the same situation and have completely different outlooks. And we see, you know, both of these characters, we've seen them go through a lot of really horrible circumstances, but Shallan, sometimes through some dubiously healthy coping mechanisms, but she is able to maintain a positive outlook overall, whereas Kaladin just, he just sits down in it. So I just think that's an interesting comparison between the two and how important your perspective is in life. It is very true. It's very true. So can we talk about the whole scene with Marais and his band of happy minions? Absolutely. All right. So first, can we agree 
that Marais is just a sweet transvestite. He absolutely is a sweet transvestite. Is this not the most Rocky Horror Picture Show <laughs> group of villains you've ever seen? It absolutely is. I can't believe I never thought of that before. Marais is Frankenfurter. Mm-hmm. Jin is Rocky. Mm-hmm. He's like, come here, blonde boy. Stand here and let her draw you. Now go away. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. You're and the, so right. The short girl with the mask is Riff Raff. Uh-huh. And what's the deal with, like, we're just, we're going to drive out into the middle of the uh, unclaimed hills and just set up a tent and shoot Kremlings with my blowgun? What? <laughs> Yeah, one of my notes is that Marais likes to blow darts near people. Every time Shalon sees him, he blows a dart like right past her, you know? Yeah. I think that blowgun's compensating for something. <laughs> I think it might be. Like a lack of technology. <laughs> so, yeah, Marais tells her that he, he likes to learn the local weapons because he thinks that the way that men kill one another says far more about a culture than any scholar's ethnography. No, asshole. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. That's just bullshit. Oh, sociology major in the house. <laughs> getting irate. <laughs> That's just absurd. <laughs> You're being an asshole. <laughs> what are they doing out there? I mean... They're having a wine party in a fancy tent. I mean, like, why did they go there? <laughs> What's the purpose for them being out there? It's not like they only talk shop, you know, out on the unclaimed hills. We saw the, all the same people hanging out in the, you know, third level secret basement with the retina scanner in our first scene. Seems like an awfully inconvenient place to meet for no tangible gain. But isn't that what Bond villains do? I mean... Yes, but I guess that's what's so shocking to me. Why did Frankenfurter, are... like, you know, freeze everyone and set up a, a really elaborate cabaret? You know, I mean... I, that's what's shocking to me, is the, the degree to which this is just so overtly Bond villain. It's... Because why can't there be a Bond villain in a fantasy novel? I mean... All right, I'm 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 with it. I'm down. So Shalon is obviously not experienced with this sort of thing and it shows which again as we stated earlier i'm glad to see but the whole time she's talking and giving them more more information i'm like girl keep your mouth shut you ain't got to tell them everything see i thought shalon actually kind of held her own and that she kind of did a good job revealing enough information remember she's hoping to get information from them so I agree. Some things, obviously, she lets slip. And yeah, she's obviously inexperienced, but she seems to have a knack for deception, which is not something that surprises us. But the fact that she had, she tells them that she can recreate images from memory, but not text. And she shares just enough of the script from Amaram's walls to get Marais talking about it, but not enough that she's actually giving them any of the crucial information that was contained there. She really wants to learn what Amram's all about, what he's trying to do out there. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you, but also I don't. No, I mean, you could certainly second guess the way she's going about it, 
but it doesn't necessarily mean that the results would have been any better. You know, she could have easily said that she works with somebody who has an eidetic memory and who can do this and not have to give away that it was her. She certainly could have done that. But that doesn't mean they would have believed her her or accepted her or found any value in her. They may have said, oh, okay, now get out of here and tried to kill her on the way home and they never invited her back. You know? mm-hmm. it, it does make you think, is she going to be willing to meet with these people again? I mean, obviously she is. But after finding the dead coachman, you know, she's going to have to be much more careful about what she's doing. Well, yeah, I mean, she's obviously fumbling her way through this, this whole underworld situation. And would you put yourself back in their control after you know what happened there? So would you allow yourself to meet them in an isolated location again after the very obvious attempt on your life? I guess it depends on how much she wants to learn what they know and how much she thinks she'll be able to control the situation. You know, it seems to me that while Moraes seems taken with her, at the same time, he also obviously kind of gives the others in the group permission to go after her. Yeah, I mean... Who knows whether Shallan picks up on the fact that maybe it's not everyone in the group wants her dead. She certainly is shaken, but it's hard to tell at this point what she's going to do from here. It seems that she picked up on that. She, she picked up on the subtle hints. And her motivation to find out what's going on is growing. I mean, she's got this serious hatred boner going for Amaram now, you know, so she's more invested in finding out what he's up to. Obviously, they're all after the same sort of information about the center of the Shattered Plains, something, what's going on with the Voidbringers. She's pretty invested in trying to find out what's going on. Her relationship with Adolin and her contacts on the kind of up upside of the world are useful, but they're not going to get her what she needs in that regard. Can you repeat everything you said after hatred boner? <laughs> I stopped listening after that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We did learn a number of things more like we got some hints and names dropped at the end when she overheard the conversation. Yes, and I have that written down if you want to pick it apart. Certainly. I have a, a couple of notes here, but yes, please go ahead and 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 give us the, the, the deets. So Moray says, we need to find out how much he knows. We are close, but so are Rastaras as cronies. Take the images to Master Thydekar. He also says... I'm not worried about that one. The old fool sows chaos, but does not reach for the power offered by opportunity. He hides in his insignificant city, listening to its songs, thinking he plays in world events. This creature in Tukar, however, is different. I'm not convinced he's human. If he is, he's certainly not of the local species. Okay. So what did you what did you pick out of that? So Thetakar is obviously their boss. Right. So Thetakar is Maybe not the end-all, be-all of the Ghostbloods, but he's one of the muckety-mucks. Restares is who Amaram is working for. Okay. Now, both of these guys, 
names were dropped in Gavilar's, you know, mm-hmm. final words before he dies. Mm-hmm. So they've been players for a long time that Gavilar suspected of some larger missions, whatever the hell they are. We don't mm-hmm. know. Then we have the old fool, and it seems to me that he's most likely talking about Teravangian. Okay. Who is the guy bossing Seth around, mm-hmm. sowing chaos. Right. Uh, but he's not really grabbing any power. Right. So that seems to be who he's talking about. I wasn't sure if he said the creature in Tukar, as in there's a person in Tukar, the location, mm-hmm. or if he said this creature in Tukar, as in Tukar is the name. Mm-hmm. What sort of creature do we have in Tukar? Mm. I, you know, I wasn't sure which it was. I take it to be that it's a place, mm-hmm. and I take it to be that it's some cosmonaut for sure. Okay. One of these Cosmere hopping alien people, whether it's Hoyd Mm -hmm. or whether it's, you know, one of several others that we've seen, it's hard to say. All right. I think you picked up on a lot there. I think that's all you can pick up from, from what we've been told. This, my favorite chapter of the section. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Interesting. I do like Moraes' face when he realizes that Shallan is basically a human camera. So what do we think about Shallan basically sending the coachman to his death and then not realizing what, you know, until after he's killed being like, oh, crap, I sent him to his death. I don't think she really legitimately thought that was going to happen. Mm -hmm. I think she was trying to be overly cautious. Mm -hmm. I suspect if she had known that was going to happen, she would have tried to find another way. Yeah, I agree. But she didn't. And we don't really have a chance because we don't spend any time in her head after this. Well, at least not. No, we do. But it's only during like the height of the fight where she was obviously distracted. But it'll be interesting to see whether that becomes something that is a long-term concern for her. Mm -hmm. Does she wrestle with the guilt of it or does she move on from it? I'm not... I'm not too upset with her about that. Okay. Redshirt's gonna die. That's true. One other thing I noticed in the section where she is walking back to the camp, kind of practicing things with pattern, he indicates that she should be able to gain the ability to make her images speak, which she hasn't done yet. He did say that. So that will be kind of cool. So get out your flip book. So chapter 55 is called The Rules of the Game. Kaladin is guarding Adolin on his next date with Shallan. He's surprised when Wit joins them. Shallan is even more surprised to see Wit, as apparently she recognizes him. She thanks him for the conversation they had when she was a child. Shallan shares her plan to trick Sadius into a duel with Adolin. They head to the menagerie, where Shallan admires some gross-looking creatures, and Adolin admires Shallan. The party is broken up by the arrival of Dalinar and Amaram with an announcement. Dalinar has refounded the Knight's Radiant with Amaram at its head. Womp, womp. (laughs) Did you know that uh, our nine-year-old was trying to talk me into letting her join the band earlier this year? No. Mm -mm. And, uh... You know, I, I'm not opposed to the band. I love band. Band kids were the best. But she, you know, she's already doing like four other things. I'm yeah, already yeah. 
full-time chauffeur for this child. So I'm trying to get to the root of like, okay, what appeals to you about being in the band? And what else do you need to take off your plate? And, and when it came down to when we really got to the root of the matter, what she really wanted was to have a trombone so that she could make the sad trombone sound. <laughs> That's all she wanted out of the band. And I was like, I almost want you to have a trombone so you can make the, tr- <laughs> the sad trombone. You know, I'm I related sh- to that. I'm sure there's an app we can get. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot less expensive than I mean, that's a fourteen hundred dollar trombone. Too, but you know what? I kind of want a sad trombone sound right here in the, for this chapter. See what I can do. <laughs> so, what was the the line of this chapter? Oh, the line of this chapter was definitely. <laughs> I traded in my sense of humor long ago. What did you get for it? Scars. <laughs> <laughs> all right hold on go go with me here okay go okay. With me here, okay? i traded in my sense of humor long ago what did you get for it the actor's handbook written by jean-claude van damme <laughs> i traded in my sense of humor long ago what did you get for it i didn't get nothing i had to pay 50 dollars and pick up the garbage <laughs> I traded in my sense of humor long ago. What did you get for it? 47 Bitcoin. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> I traded in my sense of humor long ago. What did you get for it? Reruns of Two and a Half Men. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the line of this chapter. Right? <laughs> Scars. <laughs> it's Christ. It's a little over the top. It is. However, I think Adolin's reaction makes it okay. Uh-oh. Because Adolin reacts by going, oh, fantastic. <laughs> I'm so glad you're coming on my date with me. Yeah, right. So can we just say, good Lord, Kaladin is a sad sack and he is a terrible bodyguard. Oh, my Lord. Like, he'll keep you alive, but he will not respect your privacy. No. You know, and you would think being a soldier, he would know a little bit about bodyguarding, at least as much as I know about just from watching the Netflix show, The Bodyguard. Right. Right. Like, if you're a bodyguard, you're there, but you don't inject yourself into conversations. It's rule number one of being a bodyguard. Kaladin does that compulsively, and then he pouts if they don't, like, instantly accept him as, like, a complete and total... like, you know, he, Adolin's on a date and Kaladin's like, what are you talking about, guys? And they're <laughs> like, um, okay, I guess we're doing this. And he's like, oh, these light eyes, they always look down. It's like they don't even want me around because I'm a dark eyes. <laughs> no. Third wheel asshole. No, they don't want you around because you're a cock block. <laughs> Come on, Kaladin. It's hard to get handies in the back of the wagon. <laughs> With old three scars staring <laughs> at you. I think it's going to rain. <laughs> oh, my Lord. So, so let's qu- talk about Wit. Let's talk about Wit. Please, let's do that. So Wit shows up as the coachman. Kaladin shows up and he's like, oh, it's you. And Wit's like, hey, what did you do with my priceless ancient flute that I randomly gave you? Asshole. 
And Calvin's like, derp. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, don't give your priceless ancient flute to a slave of a bridgeman, you know, but at the same time, I actually thought that was curious because we know that Wit is is Hoyd and he's like an ancient world hopper, okay? That's not super spoilery, I think, to say that. I feel like we've established yeah, that. We, we, yeah, that's well established. Yeah. So it, it also makes me think, and he does obviously do things that are random and capricious, but it just makes me wonder what would have happened if Kaladin had held on to the flute or learned to play the flute like Wit had suggested. Was that just a random thing or was that intentional? And would Kaladin's be in a different place now? Well, the other the thing I'm thinking is that flute didn't disappear into the ether. Somebody got it. Are they going to recognize what it is or start fiddling with it? Does it show up in book four or book five? You know, does it come back around? Does it have some sort of magical powers? To, you know, mm-hmm. can you tie it in a knot? Can you tie it under your in a bow? Can you throw it over your shoulder? I mean, I don't know, but eh, we'll find out. Yes, we will. So we start with Wit giving Kaladin a hard time, you know, and making fun of his just complete lack of wit. Mm-hmm. And then he said, and then Kaladin says, "I know full well how to have a good time." Is that so, says Wit. Yes, it involves being anywhere you aren't. (laughs) Wit stared at him and then chuckled, shaking the reins so the horses danced a little. So you have some spark of wit in you. No. No. That's not funny. No. That, yeah, no. (laughs) That's terrible. Like. Not even remotely a sick burn. Not even remotely. It's barely warm. Yeah. Anywhere you're not, man. It's like bad 80s movie bully burn. Right? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to get back in my T-bird. I'm going to comb out my mullet. And when I'm done twisting my wispy mustache, you better not be standing out in front of the Circle K. So, so just to be clear, we're not happy with Kaladin in this section so no. far. Oh, <laughs> Kaladin. <laughs> This is the make fun of Kaladin section. It might be. It's so bad. It's really bad. Really, every everybody here does a shit job, except for Shalon. Shalon yeah. sort of makes the best of her situation. Yeah. But Kaladin and Adolin both in this section just roll their dicks out and step all over them. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know... Oh, look at my giant. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, that's what this whole section is. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Anybody got any ice? I mean, what happens to a human penis if it's stepped on by shard plate? I don't think we want to know. You've got less of a penis and more of a skillet. (laughs) This podcast has gone to a very dark place. (laughs) Well, there's only so much you can... We haven't even gotten to, you know, the the climax of the part, right? (laughs) It's very hard to climax with a flat penis. (laughs) But, but, But there's... There's only so much you can really talk about in, you know, a big epic duel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm left, you know, making 
cooking apparatus penis jokes. It's what I <laughs> it's what I have. <laughs> so a couple of things I thought were interesting about well, first, what Wit and Kaladin talk about, and he makes it clear that he knows, well, not clear, but he strongly hints that he knows about Kaladin's surge binding. And Kaladin's like, oh, crap. And he's like, well, what do you want from me? Wit says he wants a story from him. Which is not the same one thing that's he, boring. Same thing he told him when he gave him the flute. Yes. So uh, another thing I thought was interesting. So then we get to, they get to Shallan's house and... Shallan comes out and everyone who's seen Wit has said, it's you. Yeah. And she comes out and says, it's you. Yeah. And then she runs up and just hugs him. And um, that part's pretty funny because everyone is sort of just agog. You don't hug Wit. Right. It's like hugging a white spine. And uh, Adolin tells Wit to stick to women his own age. And Wit says, there's only one of those around these parts and we've never gotten along. And that's the chick who's out there busting up statues. I can neither confirm nor deny, but... You don't have to confirm or deny anything. Your looks tell me everything I need to know, Duchess. Another thing I noted was that Syl, in the midst of all of Kaladin's blah, 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 she says something cryptic about Kaladin being almost ready. We don't yeah. know what well, that's it's all next, about. Well, it's the next set of words. You would think. Some, yeah. But something something is going, it gives I'm us giving, hope. I'm that, giving you all my predictions right here. I love it. I'm not. I love it. Um, another thing I thought that was interesting that Hoyd said was, this is just a side note, talking about the gender roles. <laughs> the woman who wrote that treatise who set up the gender roles, decided mm. that all the feminine tasks avoided involved sitting around having fun while all the masculine ones involved finding someone to stick a spear in you. So we, we kind of realized that that was all this, the treatise that set up the gender roles in a mm-hmm. society was written by a female. Oh, I think we have to talk about uh, Yenev and the plan. Yes, the plan. What the, did you think of that? So I felt like the plan was... You know, going into this the first time, I'm like, this is not much of a plan. Like, this is a huge amount of risk for something that might pay off. Mm -hmm. Now, I recognize that Elicar's in on it. Right. But it didn't give him a lot of time to put it together. But still, it seemed like a really risky thing to do Mm -hmm. for this thing that may or may not work. Now, in retrospect... That part of the plan was the best part of the plan. That's the part of the plan that that almost worked. Well, and, and here's the other thing. Adolin was already going to fight this duel before Shallan even proposed the plan. Well, true, but she was like, I need you to do something really astounding. And he was like, all right, I, let me watch this. I'm going to roll out my dick. Ow! <laughs> you know, I mean, he had already committed to it but after she said i need you to do something massive i found something and then this is her Mm -hmm. grand plan Mm -hmm. it turned out to be a better plan than i thought it would Mm be uh despite their uh, grammatical failings that nearly got everybody killed Mm -hmm. but the other part the part that i thought was interesting was yenev yes and yenev 
specifically. Mm -hmm. So the first time we encounter that name is back when Dalinar is talking to Aladar, and he's trying to convince him to come around. Mm -hmm. And he, when yet when Aladar is not wanting to play the game, Dalinar says, "Yenev, remember mm -hmm. Yenev." Mm -hmm. And then he explains how he, Dalinar, killed Yenev in a duel. Mm -hmm. We get here so many chapters later, and the story is that Yenev was killed in a duel by Sadius. Mm -hmm. So we have the official story being Sadius killed him, but we have Dalinar specifically stating that he killed him himself. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means, or but it's a strange thing. So as they're going through the plan, Kaladin gives us a little foreshadowing mm -hmm. for what he's going to do. He says, right. this tradition might be the answer, mm -hmm. the solution I've been looking for. I've been looking to do something colossally stupid, mm -hmm. something really <laughs> monumentally asinine, just plain old dumb to celebrate my recent promotion. Mm -hmm. And we find out later what that is. Yep. So as we've been talking, I went back and read that section and looked up that mention of mm -hmm. Yenev where Dalinar was talking to Aladar. And right. it turns out, in my perpetual getting everybody's name wrong, it was Sadius the whole time. So much ado about nothing. Take off your tinfoil hat. Go on. Cut. It's got nothing to do with nothing. <laughs> it was Sadius all along. It happens. I shall diminish. <laughs> Go into the West. Go into the West. <laughs> and remain the Duke. <laughs> so let's talk about Amaram. Oh, yes. Oh, so, puppy dog eyes, Amaram. So what do we think about all that? You know, here we have a situation where Kaladin told Dalinar the truth about Amaram. Dalinar's like, I'll look into that. Sure. And now we see him instituted as the head of the Knights Radiant by Dalinar. Do we have a reaction to that? I'm not really surprised by it. Okay. Because in Dalinar's mind, Amaram is the person most like him in Alethkar who's not related to him. Right. He's heard what Dalinar said... But he's also seen, I'm sorry, he's heard what Kaladin has said. Once again, I, man, I can't get anyone's names right. He's heard what Kaladin has said mm -hmm. about Amaram, but he's also seen Kaladin be a hothead. And we find out later, he apparently has interviewed a bunch of people close mm -hmm. to Amaram. And according to what he's uncovered, the facts simply don't add up. So... Why would he then have any reason to doubt Amaran? Mm -hmm. So there's nothing that's shocking to me about that other than it's a little bit peculiar, I guess, that he wouldn't have thought less about Kaladin and maybe even potentially confronted Kaladin because he thinks Kaladin lied or was somehow misled. Or was completely delusional. I mean, Kaladin has a pretty detailed story about exactly 
what Amram did. It's not like he's like, oh, he's a bad guy or I have a bad vibe about him. He's like, no, these are specific actions that he took that then, as far as Dalinar is concerned, were proven false. So if he thinks that Kaladin is lying or delusional, why would he want him to continue to be the head of his bodyguard? So that that's the part of it to me where I feel like there's a you could make an argument, not that he would not promote Amaram, but more right. that he should be coming back and casting more doubt on Kaladin. But maybe he is, and we just don't know it. Well, that's true. So, but I didn't think a ton of it. I do think for some reason, this whole thing makes me somehow think of Amaram more like a like a Scooby-Doo villain. Mm-hmm. Like, he just seems less and less real in that regard when you put him in that role as the head of the Knights Radiant. When you know that he's really just a—he doesn't know anything about it, you understand what Dalinar's trying to do, mm-hmm. but it just sort of feel like somebody's going to come up to Amaram and pull his mask off, and he's going to be like, I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you pesky kids, you know, like— I just feel like that's going to somehow happen. I don't. So for me, I think getting this extra layer that Amram is involved in a group that is somehow parallel to or opposing the ghost bloods gives him a little more depth. You know, he's not a solo agent out there just kind of bouncing around doing random evil stuff. You know, he's. He's part of an organization. There's kind of purpose behind his actions that maybe we're not aware of. And obviously he's not, if he's under um, Rastare's, he's serving someone else's purpose as well. Yeah, that's true. That's certainly true. Yeah, I I, I hadn't thought about it from that angle. That's a, that's a good point. We still don't really know what it is that they want because we have this weird sort of situation where Everybody we've seen from the Ghostbloods is, so far, looking like the most straight-up, cartoonishly, villainously evil people we've encountered in this series. Mm-hmm. From Arrays to the Sailors Who Stabbed Yasna, like, these people are the most cartoonishly, no nuance, evil there is. And yet their stated goals are preventing the return of the Voidbringers. Are they? Well, I guess it's more about finding out uh, your theory. Yeah, I mean, they're all looking for the city, but we don't know what uh, yeah, okay, that's a good point. they're yeah. about. And Shalon suggests that it seems that Amaram might be working to actively bring back the Voidbringers. Well, Am- yeah, but Amram is a, with a whole different group. What I was going to say is their purposes are cross, but they both seem to be potent- they both seem to be evil. And when you think back to what Ishonai told Adolin, I'm trying to remember exactly what she said about why they killed King Gavilar, but she said King Gavilar was boasting and he thought that we would be happy about the return of our gods. So Obviously, Hmm. this is people have been trying to like bring some bad stuff back into this world for it's been going on for a long time. And if it was again, Gavilar, Rastares, 
um, Thydekar were the three that are always being mentioned, some of these factions are still in play. Chapter 56 is called White Spine Uncaged. The long-awaited duel has arrived. Adolin is going to fight against two other shard bearers. Kaladin and his men prepare for a difficult guard duty, still shaken by the revelation that not only did Dalinar not believe Kaladin about Amaram's treachery, but that he also has put him in charge of the newly refounded Knight's Radiant. Kaladin tells Moash that he is sending him away on patrol duty while he prepares to move against Graves and the rebels. Adolin prepares for what will be a difficult duel by talking to his sword. With a prayer written by his honey, he's as prepared as he can be. Until four opponents come out onto the sands. Prince Relis used a loophole to bring extra opponents, and then convinced Adolin to fight until either impairment or death. To make matters worse, they don't allow him to yield when he tries to end the fight. The judge is bribed, Renarin enters the fight and causes extra complications, and everyone is pretty much effed. Dalinar calls for anyone in the stands to jump in and help his sons. Nobody responds, except for Kaladin, who jumps unarmored into the arena. So pretty damn exciting. It's pretty exciting. I really only have one note for this chapter. It's... (laughs) You dummy. (laughs) I mean, my biggest note was, oh, jack him off. (laughs) I mean, in fairness, I didn't see it coming. You didn't. I didn't see the loophole. No. And, um, you know, Adolin right away is kicking himself. Yeah. You know, the his the first look into his head, you know, is is him saying, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. so, so he knows that he was idiotic. You know, maybe he should have been able to expect that they would bring four people into the ring. But I don't think even he could have expected just the the brutality with which these other opponents were willing to um, bring against him, you know, including one of his, someone he considered a friend, you know, these guys aren't there to win his shards. They are there to maim him purposefully or kill him or kill him. Yeah. You know, they're there just for punishment's sake. I, I would argue it's a little different than that. I would say he's upsetting the apple cart. In terms of the way in which these people view dueling and shards and all these things which are core items in their culture. These are core cultural items. Mm -hmm. And he's going in and dueling people and trying to take all these shards and take all this power. But he's also, in their eyes, not doing it in you know, a way that they would see as being normal and ethical. And mm-hmm. Like he's dueling, he's cheating in his duels. He's not, but, you know, that's the, sort of the excuse. So they're trying to remove somebody who is a huge agitator, you know. It, you know, they're trying to take him out and and remove him from being able to continue to steal people's shards and continue to make them look like assholes in the dueling ring. Yeah, no, that is actually probably a very true assessment. 
Um, but I think we also can't look past the fact that Sadius was behind bribing the judge, probably. Oh, for sure. That it seems as though he ultimately, what he wanted was Dalinar to jump in there so he could be killed. Uh, because when Elokar kind of turns to, the first thing Elokar goes, does is turn to Sadius and say, what the hell is this? And Sadius is like, I don't know. They're not mine. You know, he says, but I happen to research it. And Dalinar, you could go down there if you wanted. <laughs> you know, the Blackthorn I knew would be down there, you know, fighting yeah. with a rock if he had to. Yeah. So it seems like, certainly seems like Sadius was behind this. Oh, for sure. And the judge, you know, does not allow the fight to be stopped, even though Adolin is obviously in grave mortal peril. So obviously this was set up by people in power. For, oh, for sure, for sure. That being said, yeah, it was a it was a dumbass move of Adolin to get in there. And the first thing Shalon thinks when she watches this going on is, I can't believe I missed that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought it was cool that she, you know, how she sent Pattern in. She probably did the, the most useful thing of anyone um, outside of Kaladin. And she sent Pattern in to distract yeah. one of the combatants. Which... Does that qualify as my prediction coming true? I said she would use her powers to influence the fight. Uh, I think it does. I think it does as well. <laughs> Score. I think I scored more in this fight than any of them did. <laughs> so yeah, then we have your favorite moment. Honor is dead. But I'll see what I can do. You know what? I don't care. I love it. I love it. I mean, who... who Give me like mawkish sentiment. I don't care. I do not care. Oh. Well, and you have this really antagonistic relationship between the two of these characters leading up to it, but that Kaladin is still willing to jump in there. And I mean, you have all of these these trained soul fighters with with weapons, with armor, who aren't willing to rest themselves. And um, Kaladin jumps in there with a spear, you know? So you definitely see a, a little bit of character growth there, that he's even still willing to do that for someone who's he really doesn't get along with. At the same point in time, I also feel like Kaladin was chomping at the bit to go in and test out his powers. I mean, maybe a little, but I don't think he'd be would have been. I don't think he would have taken the chance to fight four shard bearers. No, under uh, any other circumstance. No, that's true. I would agree with that for sure, for sure. And there was a lot of fighting, lots of hacking, lots of slashing. Mm-hmm. Before we move on to like the the fight proper, I want to mention too. Kaladin makes a decision that he is going to turn Graves in, you know, and up until then he'd been kind of waffling. There'd been some stuff he'd been waffling about that in the last couple of chapters, you know, he finally gives Shen a spear and now he finally makes a decision that he's going to, um, to turn in these insurgents against the King. Yeah. So chapter 57 is called to kill the wind. Shalan is watching the duel in horror she sends Pattern down to try and distract one of the shard bearers, but other than that, there's not much she can do. Adolin seems doomed until Kaladin joins the fight. It's totally badass. 
Against all odds, they win the fight, and Adolin is given a boon by the king. He asks for the right to duel Sadius, right then and there. But before Elokar can answer, Kaladin busts in and asks for the right to duel Amaram. The request does not go over well. He is such a dummy. <laughs> He's such a dummy. And it's been explained to him, you know, when they were even talking about the plan, it was explained to him the right of challenge being an ancient tradition where if a light eyes was dueling another light eyes, the kid, you know, it's it's unbelievable that he missed how important that is. But we also know that at least, especially right now, this character is someone who is incredibly self-involved. For sure. So all he hears is, oh, you know, maybe I can do this too. I don't know if you were there, but it reminds me of something that happened when we were at college. So we, there was a concert on campus. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Kelly Bell Band. I don't know if you... I was there. Okay. All right. You, you you may remember what I'm discussing. And so the band comes up and everyone's having a good time and they start dancing. And the band invites girls from the crowd to come up on stage and dance with the band. And so a bunch of girls come up on stage to dance with the band. Mm-hmm. However... One of those girls had a boyfriend Mm -hmm. and they were, you know, connected at the hip Mm -hmm. and she wanted to go up on stage and dance with the band and he followed her right up onto the stage. What was he thinking? And we're all like, dude, don't, don't go up, you know, and the guys in the band are like, dude, get off the stage. And he's just standing there like looking at everybody. (laughs) <laughs> and, and everyone, everyone in the concert is like, dude, get off the stage. <laughs> like, what is it you don't understand about what's going on here? You're like, and that is Kaladin in this yes. moment. Oh my gosh, yes. Do you remember that? I mean, I was there. At you, that don't, concert. you don't remember that specific event occurring. There's just so many things I don't remember. That's, that's <laughs> I'm okay. sorry. I believe you, though. Oh, I distinctly remember it. Not saying anyone, anyone's names. <laughs> you have to tell me later. Um, okay. So Kaladin cracks shard plate with his feet. That's pretty badass. It's pretty badass. Come on. Well, and he... He does the last clap. He does the last clap. So, but first, he fights two shard bearers with nothing but a helmet on his hand. Yeah, the helmet That's was pretty cool. Was right? pretty cool. I thought he was going to use it as like like the world's most badass boxing glove. <laughs> well, he kind of does, but he uses it's it more to as, block. It's more of a shield. Yeah. yeah, still pretty damn cool. He reminded me of a uh, punch kicker. Punch kicker. Yes. <laughs> Whose punches? Punches are as hard as his kicks. <laughs> Kaladin punch kicker. (laughs) Oh, Kaladin punch kicker. Where would we be without you? (laughs) 
I also love that Adolin basically wins, but just by jumping back onto um, Jackamoff's back and hanging on, knocking him over. And Jackamoff is left laying on his back going, that up and fight me like a man. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. That's the Duncan the Tall method of, of battle. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know anything about it. I wouldn't. So yeah, Kaladin does the last clap. And as soon as his hands touch the sword, he hears screaming. And then he, you know, it stops as soon as he lets go. Which is obviously Syl. But what I thought was interesting is that, and it wasn't Yakimov, but it was Reshi or I don't know, whatever the Relis. guy is. Relis, thank you. It was Relis was somehow able to hear it as well. Mm-hmm. And it caused him to basically turn and run and flee. Yeah. Now... I don't know why or what that indicates. Does Relis have a spren too and just not realize it? Or was Pattern messing with him? I yeah, I don't I don't know, yeah. But clearly Sill does not like it when he touches a shard blade. That's the first time he's actually touched one. Yeah. In the series. So we don't really know what happened Mm -hmm. but something happened also sill notices pattern for the first time oh yeah i forgot about that while he is he is over there distracting distracting renarin's opponent Mm -hmm. she's like what is that and she flies over there so we know a confrontation between those two is oh it's a brew is a coming in this corner it's 37 nanograms of light bending amazingness. He'll lie straight to your face. <laughs> In this corner. I don't know. It's still. <laughs> I didn't think that through. I just. <laughs> you thought that would just come out more naturally. I thought, than it you did. know, I figured I would. You know what happens. Yeah. I thought I would be able to come up with something, but I wasn't. Most of the stuff I say on this podcast is improvised. Not all of it. Sometimes it goes wrong, man. (laughs) Listen, sometimes Jerry Garcia is too high to give you a good guitar solo, you know? It's okay. We still love you. Thank you. I appreciate that. The chapter 58 is called Never Again. Well, we forgot forgot the most important part of chapter 57. Okay. Is after he makes an ass of himself and says, and I challenge Amaram, (laughs) Elicar says, Arrest that idiot. Right. And they all swoop in to arrest Kaladin. Right. Who Kaladin was, which was not what he was expecting. No, it was not. Although I, you really don't know why he wouldn't have expected that. Man, get off the stage. Get off the stage. Dude. So chapter 58? Chapter 58. It's called Never Again. Kaladin faces the music for being a dumbass. Sadius has slipped their careful trap, and Dalinar still doesn't believe Kaladin about Amaram. Amaram has 17 witnesses who will all swear that they saw him win his blade. Elicar wants to execute him, but Dalinar intervenes. He ends up in prison, determined never to trust a light eyes again. So this was a short chapter. Yes. And Elicar makes a massive ass of himself, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Like, the callousness with which they view human life is just Mm -hmm. really upsetting. Mm -hmm. 
Kaladin doesn't realize what he did by calling out. Like, he just doesn't seem to get it. Well, he doesn't seem to get the... He, of all the main characters, is the only one that does not grasp the larger stakes that are happening. Maybe because he doesn't have the information, but he is the only one that doesn't kind of realize that he is in a world in peril situation here. It's still really all about his own personal conflict. And not that his gripes aren't valid. Like the Absolutely. O- the only reason why he's potentially looking at being executed and Adolin is being celebrated as a champion is because of his eye color. It's right. such an asinine and stupid thing. Right. But you also, you see throughout this chapter the way in which people just flat out don't consider light eyes people dark eyes or dark eyes people when we get into the saddiest section he's like it's amazing that adolin was able to defeat four shard bearers i'm like did you watch any of it right like like, did you see this dude Mm -hmm. with no armor and a spear jump in and kick everyone's Mm -hmm. ass I don't see color. <laughs> yeah. Like, so it's not as though his gripes aren't valid gripes, but as you say, he's so entrenched in his own victimhood that he can't see the bigger thing that's going on around him. Yeah. I mean, also, he hasn't had the access to the same information that our other main point of view characters have i would completely disagree with you really he's in the room every time they're talking about it talking about the end of the world almighty stuff well no, you know what that's not true with you because the countdown on the walls all of that yeah yeah you're right no he absolutely has access and at the end when dalinar finally yells at him and says haven't you been listening yeah Do you don't see what is going on yeah you know so yeah, I, I that's I mean, frustrating. It is. It, it comes down to the same thing that Sill's been telling him for chapters and chapters and chapters. He's so wrapped up in his own hatred and vengeance that he can't get out of that to be able to see what the hell's going on outside of mm-hmm. him. It's just that he's so overwhelmed with that one emotion and that's what puts him in this situation where he can't look at anything from anybody else's perspective Mm -hmm. you know i think it's you know and sills telling him over and over and over again dude this is dominating you and it's turning you bitter and nasty and evil and you know he's supposed to be one of the good guys but I mean, he does at least have some sort of a moral compass that he stands by. So, like, I'm not equating him to Seth, but, like, is he really any better than most of the other characters in this book? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what he's proposing to do is really not any different than what Amaram did. He wants to single-handedly go out and just and murder Amaram. Now 
his motivation for it and his reason for it might be very different. But the end result is he he wants to and is planning on murdering somebody. The reason why he wants to murder somebody is because that somebody murdered somebody. Several people, but nonetheless. So he's his whole obsession is just going to bring him to be equivalent to those he hates. And it's it's that whole thing that he's he's got to find a way to get over or else he's he's just going to slide closer and closer and closer to the people he despises. Yeah, it's hard. At the same time, it's hard to judge someone who has spent his life, you know, being relentlessly and systematically oppressed. You know, and it's hard to, you know, put yourself in the shoes of someone who has been through that. You know, and it's interesting, too. We talk a lot about um, mental illness in this series and and different characters. And and Kaladin, we know, suffers from depression. And I think it's interesting because depression often doesn't look like stereotypical depression, crying all the time, you know, just sitting around moping. And although Kaladin certainly does plenty of moping, Mm -hmm. it oftentimes comes out as extreme irritability and self-centered thinking. And that's definitely what we see in Kaladin over these couple of chapters. You know, his irritability with... Adolin and Shallan and just their happiness. And even though once he becomes convinced that Shallan is not a threat, she's not like going to try and assassinate Adolin. He's, she still just irks him and the happiness that they're having just irks him, you know? So a lot of this, I, I think you can see as, as being symptoms of that, that problem that he has. I would agree with you. And and I don't want to make a false equivalency between Amaram and Kaladin, but I, what I do want to represent is that regardless of your circumstances, you're still ultimately responsible for what you do. Absolutely agree with you. You know, and Amaram bears every bit of ill will or he deserves every bit of ill will that goes towards him for what he did. Mm-hmm. It's simply that because Kaladin is so wrapped up in his his hatred and his vengeance, he is drawing himself closer and closer and closer to that to the point where he's able to rationalize the murder of other human beings, mm-hmm. where he has this very, very strong sense of honor in every other area. Mm-hmm. So I, I completely agree that, you know, he's bearing a cross that Amaram and Dalinar and Shallan don't have to carry. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't understand what his life has been or, you know, what would drive him to make those decisions. But at the end of the day, he's still going to be responsible for what he chooses to do. And listen, the Lopin went through all the same shit that Kaladin went through, mm. and he's still got a smile on his face. Good point. Very good point. All right. Well, that's all I've got for the chapter. That's all proper. I have. Yeah. 
Oh, that we was have a good questions. episode. Yeah, we have questions from our listeners. We do. We have a we have a few. Yes. Oh crap! Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of questions. All right. So Theo Graham Brown asks, "Are you done with Kaladin and his issues?" Honestly, I want to be generous to him, but he seems to have completely lost it here. I think we just answered that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we are just categorically, completely, and totally done. We are on the same page. in this section. All right, so Theo also says, Amram works for Rastaras, and it seems that he and the Ghostbloods both want to bring the Voidbringers. Any idea what makes these groups different is wit Rastaras. Hmm. My, what I gathered is that Rastaras is another high prince. I think it yeah. would have, I don't think Wit is him. I think that would have. No, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Come out. I, I think we know that Rastaras is, is another one of the high princes. That's been confirmed. Right. I don't know that we know that they both want to bring the Voidbringers. I think we have some evidence that Amaram and Rastaras apparently want to expedite that process. And we have evidence that the Ghostbloods want to find Eurotheru. But we don't necessarily know that their reasons or their aims are the same. But they're certainly in the same ballpark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my, my guess at this point would have been like that there's obviously some sort of power to be gained out in the shattered planes and everybody's going after it yeah that's kind of where i i take it as well well i think if you i mean it seems to me if you're trying to gain political power and you have found that there is a system of magical portals and gates that allows you to instantly teleport across the the country and you can control that you can control the continent. Right. Theo also says, so the Ghostbloods aren't stupid, given that they tried to kill Shallan, but that also implies they noticed no body for Shallan's character. So what next? I assume they're going to try and find her via a drawing. Yeah, I think it's hard to say at this point what they're going to do next, but I think it's obvious that Shallan's not going to just slip away from them scot-free. I mean, the only thing she has going in her favor is that they don't know that she is who she is. So if she wanted, she could very easily just never go out disguised as Vale again and disappear. However, then she, again, loses access to whatever the ghost bloods are trying to do that she wants to be a part of. Yeah, we know that her drawing is going to Thetakar. What what I don't know, maybe you know, but what I don't know is where Thetakar is. Mm-hmm. Is he in a place where he's likely to see other drawings right. that Shallan would have had? It seems like there's a possibility that he could because the Ghostbloods have been intimately involved in Yakoved and the politics involved in her family mm-hmm. for a long time. So the idea that one, that her brother or somehow he would Thetakar might know that Shallan has this incredible preternatural gift for drawing 
doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility. I wouldn't say it's a major likelihood, but it seems reasonable to me to suspect that he might know. It's interesting, and I meant to say this earlier, but Shalon makes a comment in that first chapter we talked about, something along the lines of realizing that Vale is not a a disguise or a another person she's pretending to be. She's actually a, a part of her own personality. She's actually kind of a different version of herself. And then she thinks that that could be dangerous. Yeah, plus she named her Vale. So I, I thought that was interesting because Shalon is a, a, a character who is very good at compartmentalizing both her past and the different aspects of her personality that she needs to bring out depending on who she's around. And it just makes you wonder, like, how long can she keep that up before she the balls no longer stay in the air? Yeah, yeah that's a good point. She is dealing with a lot of massive thing, just a huge number of things she's never had to deal with before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as she said, where, when's she going to slip up? You know, I think for her, it's going to be death by a thousand cuts. You know, it's going to be little things that she's doing that make her vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Not one colossal misstep like Adolin, mm-hmm. but we'll see. Theo says, everyone knows wit. Do you think he was the messenger that talked to Shallan in chapter 45? The description doesn't include the normal one about his arrow-like face. Yeah, I noted that as well. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I think it's pretty well confirmed that he right. is the messenger. Yeah. But, but I agree, the description for that character is not quite the same as every other time Hoyd's appeared. So mm-hmm. it's, a little, it's a little weird. He also says, Wit asks Kaladin for a story, and then Kaladin just sits there in silence uh, for most of an hour, right? Am I going mad? Um, so, no, I, I think it is an awkward conversation that Wit's like, I want a story from you. And Callan's just like, merp. <laughs> Having said that, when our kids run up to us and they're like, tell me oh, a story, yeah. I'm like, well, I don't know. It's true. I have like five <laughs> stories that are child appropriate. <laughs> yeah. yeah the- and one of them involves me stealing all the pennies from my brother's piggy bank when I was little. So I don't know. Like, is that really appropriate? Tells you what the, <laughs> yeah. the caliber of my childhood stories are. Yeah. They it's ca- true. They yeah. come to me a lot and they're like, tell me a story about when you were a little daddy. And I'm like, <laughs> I got a really small window here I can pull from. <laughs> so, uh, so Theo so Theo also says... Kaladin, did you just call Theo Kaladin? Yes, I absolutely did. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. Kaladin says, Theo has lost his chance to stop Moash's allies from their next <laughs> attack on the king. They also haven't done anything yet to implicate him. This seems like, the, like a really important issue that'll happen. What do you think? Uh, yeah, it's actually kind of my, it's one of my predictions, so I'm going to leave it mm, alone. All right. So is Elicar really just reacting to what Kaladin says, or do you think he has a specific situation with Amaram to consider because he was really quick to squash what was going on, even though he was ostensibly trying to help out with the challenge on Sadius? No, I think Elicar is just an, is just a dummy. I and think he's, he's just a pompous dick. Yeah, and, yeah he's uh, just reactionary. Just could not believe that a dark eyes would. How dare you? Ha- would do? I think. Well, and it, it sounds like from the last chapter we read that he didn't even want Kaladin down there, and that Dalinar 
was the only thing keeping him from making them pull Kaladin out. 17 people claiming when Amaram got his shards to a specific point. Do you reckon he bought them off or staged something? If he staged something, the old I talked to swords Black Betty would have had a tough time just sitting on those shards, right? So what do we think about that conspiracy? No, I mean, I think I think he just clearly paid or bribed, cajoled people into telling whatever story he needed them. Mm-hmm. He needed told. Also, Amram is surprised to see Kaladin, and yet he prepared that story already. Is there someone else he needs to hide this from? So I was actually getting ready to say that. Oh, yeah. So the, th- the thing about the whole situation with Amaram and stealing the shard is that no matter what, there were a lot of dead bodies getting pulled out of that building. Amaram was going to have to concoct a story mm-hmm. to explain how he got that shard, mm-hmm. explain away all those, you know, that whole situation. You know, it's not shocking to me that he would need to have created something to explain it mm-hmm. far in advance of knowing he was ever going to run into Kaladin again. Okay, so Theo has a tinfoil prediction. Are we ready? We know from the Snapters that each Surge is shared between two Radiant Orders, so maybe Shallan's disguise ability is Surge-based and shared. If that's true, it's possible for one of the Ghost Bloods to either be a Light Weaver or another Order and be able to do what she does. So if they can find her drawings, they can allow for the fact that she can fully disguise herself. But if we're already toying with the notion that both Yasna might have created a some Sorry, I forgot how to read for a second. A simulacrum of herself, and that with more practice, Shallan might do more with her illusions. Maybe Hilarion is still alive, and he is disguised as another person as him, and they sent him in with the shards. That is very tinfoily. Bravo. Chomping on tinfoil right now. Love it. No, it's a good point, however... Like, I remember thinking several episodes ago, hey, wait a minute, it just sort of dawned on me, mm-hmm. everybody could have a shard blade, because they, we don't know, they just disappear, right? So, we have been going under the assumption that Shallan's the only one who can do this, but there's no reason to think that's the case. So, no, technically... I just don't think that there's a lot of secret shard blades out there. No, I'm talking I'm talking specifically about her light weaving. Oh. I, I'm saying it dawned on me a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You don't think about it when you're first presented mm-hmm. with, oh, here's this new power. The first thing that crosses your mind is not usually, oh, who else has it? You know? Right. With the shard blades, you're like, oh, we know who all the shard bearers are. And then I thought for a while, I'm like, wait a minute. No, we don't. A- anybody could have a shard blade. Mm-hmm. We have no idea. And then you start thinking, well, wait a minute, who else has Spren? We, we have no idea mm-hmm. who else could be bond, bound to a Spren. That's we, true. We tend to think that Kaladin was the first. Elikar and Shallan were the second that we know about who have some sort of Spren tied to them. Mm-hmm. But we have no idea. There could be somebody out there who discovered their Nahel Bond two years ago. Yeah. You know, and also has the ability of light weaving, but maybe instead of drawing, there are sculptures. Maybe that lady who's going around smashing all that art is trying to make it hard for light weavers to do their job. We just don't know. We don't know. So, yeah, it's a good point. 
Ian James Crone says, how do you feel about representation of women and minorities in this series versus the other series we've read in the podcast? Does Shalon subvert the I'm not like other girls trope? So I think that the the treatment of, well, okay, so it's it's kind of two separate issues. You have the gender differences and then the minorities. Um, I think that the, I like the way that gender roles are explored here. It's very different from anything that you see in, in fantasy. You know, generally you have either like patriarchies or matriarchies. You've got like old school medieval style patriarchal mm-hmm. roles, or you've got like the ADEM, yeah. you know, in the King Killer Chronicles where men are all idiots and they, mm. you know don't contribute to procreation and what, you know, yeah, yeah. what have mm. you. So it's interesting to see a society where things are really more balanced, where really women have a role of power while still at the same time having very strict, almost archaic gender roles in place. I just, I think it's interesting. I would say it's, it's kind of unique. The way that, minority treatment and relationships are being explored it's hard to compare to the other series we've read definitely explored a lot more thoroughly in this series um, a lot of allegories with how the dark eyes are treated at least in Alethkar, um versus other countries they're they're not treated the same way but skin tone doesn't seem to be really a factor really a factor at all yeah, I think it's in, it's an interesting exploration of where we sort of in society draw lines mm-hmm. that don't really exist outside of our heads. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole concept of you have to cover your left hand. Yes. You know, it, you know, where do we draw what sort of taboo and what we don't share with other people, right? Mm-hmm. It's not really all that different from the ADEM where to them your voice was the thing that was treated as this right. incredibly intimate thing, right? Mm-hmm. And where do we draw lines with our with our prejudice? You know, we you know, we, is it skin color? Is it eye color? Is it some other random thing? Uh, but it doesn't. At least in this world, it doesn't seem to matter quite where the line is drawn. Simply that there is a line drawn Mm -hmm. and most people land on the bad side of that line. Mm -hmm. Most people in the world land on the less privileged side of that line. Mm -hmm. But it's an, this is an interesting take on it because I agree with you. There's not really anything else that I know of in fantasy. That's quite like this. And I think also, I think it's pretty overt that Brandon Sanderson is trying to make it's trying to draw those parallels. It's trying to make you think about those things. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of other fantasy series, I don't think, are trying to. Yeah. Eric Allgaier says, with Kaladin in the Huskow, who's in charge of guarding the Colons? Kind of an important question, don't you think? Yeah, I think it's a huge question. I also think it's a huge question, what is Bridge 4 going to do mm-hmm. when their leader is locked away? Yeah. And what is Moash in particular going to do when the person who's, well, at least in theory, the person who's kind of got their hand on his shoulder stopping him 
from actively trying to assassinate the king, Mm -hmm. what are they going to do when they lock that person away? I can't help but think we're going to find out real soon. Yeah. Zachary Kirchin says, who is a better light weaver, Shallan, Isabel, or the Bonds Magi? Good one. Well, the Bonds Magi. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right. I was going to say Isabel. But her apparitions are look kind of ghostly, I think. And the Bonds Magi can just really make you think you're talking to a real person. But I think Shallan is is meant to try like get there, you know. Yeah, we're seeing Shallan sort of at the beginning, but mm-hmm. as of right now, at this point in fantasy time. <laughs> It's the Bonds Magi. Ashley Ketchum says, It seems like Syl got an inkling that Pattern was there in the arena, but my question is, when when Kaladin, Shallan, and Aelin were in the carriage together plotting the plan, wouldn't Syl and Pattern have noticed each other then? Or were they off doing other things while these two were in such close proximity? What about all the other times that Kaladin and Shallan have been face-to-face? Actually, I, I was thinking the same thing. Why have these two not seen each other so i think that pattern stays very close to shallan but still not so much yeah i think still she kind of comes and goes yeah yeah ian trezise says shallan is growing up fast because of her quest for knowledge and brave yet dangerous actions. she seems to be using these survival and deception skills from her past and leveling them up with pattern's bond Vale has got a pair and the ghost bloods are not cool any predictions We'll definitely get to that. And uh, he just wants to know, well, he, again, he likes the scene of honor is dead, but I'll see what I can do. <laughs> and not in an ironic way. We legitimately like that, me and Ian. You're, <laughs> you're allowed to like legitimately cheesy things. I do like legitimately there's cheesy things. There's nothing wrong true. with that. And there's so, there's some great ones. There's listen, just some great ones in this listen, series. Listen, I can't watch Kyle McLaughlin as Paul <laughs> Atreides and Alicia Witt as Aaliyah Atreides, mm-hmm. you know, pulling out Baron Harkonnen's heart plug as he floats into the mouth of <laughs> a sandworm and then make fun of you because it's of, true. of Kaladin and his scars. You cannot. I'm going to anyway. It's <laughs> it's simply that I'm wrong in doing so. <sighs> Gordon Ross says the arena scene was awesome, but does it stretch believability a little too much that nobody noticed the obvious flaw in I'll fight you and whomever you bring? I, I mean, I didn't catch it. We Yeah, neither, neither did I the first time. So, yeah. Gordon Ross apparently caught it. He says he spent a couple chapters thinking these Alethi are so dumb. Adolin's going to end up fighting Zadius's entire army. (laughs) (laughs) What what did cross my mind is why stop at four? So it it sounds like there are dueling conventions. There are different, you know, he says, you know, it was a a full disadvantaged duel. Yeah. So who knows? It sounds like there were rules about it. I mean, it sounds to me like the biggest disadvantage he had was that he kept rolling his dick out on the floor (laughs) and then flattening it with his giant shard foot. I mean, you accuse me of of having a a secret crush on Adolin, but 
you're the one that's been talking about his dick all night. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I just want to see him flip pancakes with it. That's <laughs> So before we get into predictions, I actually have a quick little game. Are you ready? I'm ready. I want to give you a quiz to find out what Stormlight character you are. Yes, I've been wanting this forever. I, you've, you've always wanted to know. I have. So I'm going to ask you some questions, and each of the answers has a point value. You're going to add up your points, and according to how many points you get, is going to tell me what Stormlight character you really, truly are. Yes. Bring it. So when the dark eyes bring your food, what do you want to see on your plate? One, spicy crab. Two, sweet and sour chicken. Three, why has it got to be dark eyes? Four, dead alethi. Uh, sweet and sour chicken. All right. So after the party is over, what do you like to do? One, figure out if you said anything embarrassing. Yes, that one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll read okay, the other so... option for, the, for those who are listening. Two, this party ain't stopping. Three, mope. <laughs> Four, kill Alethi. Yeah, the first one. The first one, okay. So your favorite activity during a high storm, is it talking high fashion with your bros? Is it hiding from the other Alethi? Is it showering with the men? (laughs) Or is your favorite activity during a high storm the power? Oh, God's the power! Number one. Number one. Okay. Talking high fashion with your bros. All right. Somebody has a grudge against you. Do you, one, frame them for incompetence and then sentence them to death? Two, embarrass them publicly. Three, challenge them to a duel. Or four, kill their king and run away. Three. To which devotion have you publicly declared? One, the devotary of insight. Two, the devotary of purity. Three, fuck your devotary. That one. Or four, (laughs) or four, odium reigns. (laughs) Three. Three. What Alethi luxury can you just not live without? One, purple drank. Because it's not lost upon me that the purple ones are the ones that are strong. Mm -hmm. Two, the fancy clothing. Three, freedom. Or four, stormlight. Uh, It's got to be stormlight. Last question. What spren do you keep in your pocket? One, life spren. Is that a life spren in your pocket? (laughs) Two, creation spren. Three, Windspren or four Stormspren? Um, one. Light, is that life spren in your yeah. pocket? Yeah. Okay, so you scored 15. 
So if you scored seven to ten, you are Sadius. Woo! If you scored eleven to fifteen, you are Adolin. Sweet. You got your boyfriend. <laughs> if you score sixteen to nineteen, you are Shalon. If you score twenty to twenty-two, you are Dalinar. If you scored twenty-three to twenty-six, you are Kaladin. And if you scored twenty-seven or twenty-eight, you are Eshonai. Awesome. Quality game. I, I do my best. I do my best. All right, are you ready for some predictions? Yes. All right, I got some predictions for you. All right. Prediction the first. Hoyd's girlfriend is out there smashing statues. All right. Good prediction. Okay. Prediction the second. Kaladin choosing not to turn in graves is going to have grave impact. Mm, Like it. Prediction the third. Shards are splinters of some greater Cosmere power that have landed on specific planets and power those magic systems. They're called shards. They're clearly shards of something. Okay. You're looking at me like I have two heads. No, no, I'm not. Okay. I'm covering my face. All right. Prediction the fourth. Your Ethereum is in Pure Lake. Okay. That's why the storms are tied to opening the gates themselves. And that's why all the water disappears. Mm. I like it. Those are my predictions. Those are awesome predictions. Those are my predictions. All right. So next week we are going to read through chapter 61, was it? I believe so. Let me look at my handy-dandy cheat cheat sheet. I think there's three interludes and then three chapters. Yep. So we will be reading the three interludes and the first three chapters of part four, ending at chapter 61. Do not read chapter 62. Well, I mean, do what you want to do, but we're not going to read chapter 62. Do you have anything else? I got nothing else. All right. You can find us on the Duke and Duchess podcast.com. You can find us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. You can find us on our Facebook group page at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the D and D group on Twitter at the D and D podcast. Also on all the other social medias at the Duke and Duchess. We're out there on Reddit, we're out there on Instagram, and we're out there on Goodreads. Let me tell you, our Reddit page, God bless Jen Nagel, there's not a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, we need to hop over there more often. Yeah, we need to we need to do a better job of that. So that is all that I have. Do you have anything else? Nope. All right, good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.